0: We are going to spend some time in August just exploring some of the lectionary texts. And this is really a time where we are allowing kind of the content to be guided by what these texts are. Um, As Personally, as a preacher, uh, there's different ways to approach it, right? There's usually five texts that you get, one from kind of the uh, beginning books of the Bible, the prophecy, a psalm or proverb, gospel, and then an epistle. Um, and uh, my approach is usually to pick the one that is most interesting to me. <laughs> and so I, I I was struck by Psalm 145, and I thought, yeah, let's go through Psalm 145 because I love the Psalms, and then I started reading Psalm 145, and and I started to feel uncomfortable, friends. And I was like, why am I uncomfortable in this psalm? It sounds so lovely. Why am I uncomfortable? <laughs> And so I would, if you don't mind, I would love to unpack my discomfort with you. And it and it lands really in two places. Um, the, the The first kind of discomfort I had was sort of the same discomfort I feel when I'm in public and I see a couple that just loves each other a little too much for public, if you know what I'm saying, right? Some of you know. You've been to that coffee shop. You just went to get your coffee and there are those lovebirds just, I mean, they're just loving on each other. Maybe it's not even physically, right? It's just its just like, oh, I love you. No, 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 I love you. Oh, no, 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 I love you. I mean, it's the, it's that feeling that I just, I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here for this. Like, this is a lot. Right? So that's one way I felt uncomfortable, and I'll, I'll unpack that. And the other way that I felt uncomfortable is that there's I, it, it's the same way that, that, that I feel uncomfortable about the abuse of power. Right? I think in this day, in this moment, a lot of us are seeing people rightly interrogate uh, strange, evil, dastardly abuses of power. And there is a lot of language in this psalm that reminded me of some of that, and I started to feel uncomfortable. So I just kept reading Psalm 145. I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it and allowing for God to sort of help me navigate my discomfort. And so I would like to take us through some of that and see what God might want to show us. Um, uh, Yeah, start there. Yeah, that's good. As some of you know, the Psalms are kind of uh, the collection of songs and poems that the people of God have used for individual and communal worship. They are words that have been uttered by the people of God for centuries. And generally speaking, though there are more nuanced ways to kind of think about what the Psalms say or or kind of how to like frame them, there's two categories that, that, that we can generally start with that uh, encapsulate most of the psalms. And that is the category of praise and the category of lament, right? The lament psalms are the psalms that are coming from the place of a person's desperation. Uh, Usually that desperation, uh, not usually, sometimes the desperation is individual. It's a thing that's happened to them. Sometimes the desperation is communal. It's a way that the people of God are suffering. And there's usually a crying out for God to come and meet folks in the midst of the desperation. And sometimes the language is flowery and sometimes the language is very rough and extremely, um, in some ways, troubling because the people of God feel troubled and need for God to make some trouble to make them free, right? The Psalms of Lament kind of expose the parts of our heart that know that injustice is wrong. The parts of our heart that, that, that know that we actually feel angry when folks are sick and dying, when folks are experiencing uh, marginalization, right? That's sort of where the Psalms of Lament give us as the people of God permission to really lay those feelings bare before God in our community. And then there's the Psalms of Praise. And the Psalms of Praise sort of address God and acknowledge how amazing God is. All of the amazing ways that God is faithful and glorious and incredible and keeps promises, all of that stuff, those kind of fit into the Psalms of praise. And if you were wondering where Psalm 145 lies, maybe you're not wondering because it already seems obvious. I want to just read verses 1 through 5 for you just to give you even more of a sense of where Psalm 145 lies. I will lift you up high, my God, the true King. I will bless your name forever and always. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and always. The Lord is great and so worthy of praise. God's greatness can't be grasped. One generation will praise your works to the next one, proclaiming your mighty acts. They will talk about all the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will contemplate your wondrous works. My friends, this is a psalm of praise and it is effusive. All of the praise, its just it just keeps going. Um, and one thing to note about this psalm is that it's actually an acrostic and an acrostic psalm means that every verse of the psalm starts with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And this was a particular poetic thing done by the psalm writers, basically to say, from A to Z, God is incredible. I will use every letter of the alphabet to acknowledge God's wonder and beauty, right? This is, this is basically like PDA. This is like worship PDA. It's, it's a lot. It's just a lot. Um, and this made me feel a little uncomfortable. And I just kept turning it around. I was like, God, why do I feel uncomfortable? God, why do I feel uncomfortable? And I realized that I was beginning to feel uncomfortable because um, I was raised in a society that doesn't really do honor. And I was raised in a space in which, in a culture, personally, in which honor is sort of complicated. <laughs> um, you know, honor, honor is a relational dynamic, right? Um, honor is what we say and what we do to recognize the goodness and rightness of relationships, right? It's, it's the thing that we do when we say, you kept your promise. You kept the contract. You kept the covenant. Um, that is what honor is. And personally, I grew up in a setting that was highly communal, right? For as long as I can remember, my sense of identity came from my family, my friend group, my church, the city or the place in which I grew up or lived. But on the other hand, our sort of Western-shaped society values results and productivity over relationships, right? We celebrate when people achieve and perform. We give people awards for what they do. And often we ignore who they are to people, right? Like this, this reminds me of of in a lot of ways the me too movement that started in the hollywood space and then exploded right like i in particular in hollywood there's a way that i think about the academy awards and how we you know sort of celebrate these great pieces of art that people make and then behind the scenes people are crazy people are just evil they are abusing people but we but we're here we are for years and years and years we're just giving out academy awards and that's what we celebrate That's kind of how our culture works. We celebrate what people do, and until there's sort of a groundswell of a moment that becomes a movement that begins to shift society, we don't really get concerned with how people are to each other. But in God's reality, relationships and community and covenant is what organizes and defines us, not our achievement and production and our possessions. We live in covenant with God. And as a people that live in covenant with God, one of the ways that we have to demonstrate the goodness of that covenant is praise, is honor, right? I think that I found this uncomfortable because I have a hard time living in this space where it feels like I am what I do. And as long as I am what I do and I don't feel good enough, how can I access praise, But if who I am fundamentally is someone with whom God has made a covenant and has always been faithful, then I can praise. I can give honor to God for keeping that covenant. I can give honor to God for the ways that God has led me to keep that covenant. I can give honor to God for making space for me to return that covenant even when I break it, right? Honor and praise is something I can access when I access the fact that I live in relationship. And while I'm living as a person that just produces and does stuff, it's a little bit harder. And so what I want to say to us, friends, is that the Psalms of praise are a way for us to be reminded that we are people that live in covenant and in relationship to God, to each other, and to the land. And the ways that we are able to access that language of praise usually connect to the ways that we are dialed in to our relationships to God, to each other, and to the land, and in particular to the ways in which we're experiencing life in those relationships, experiencing abundance in those relationships. And so this is a psalm of praise. And in Psalm 145, it really is a psalm of praise for all creation. It is a vast psalm of praise for all creation. But one of the other ways that that, that that this psalm may be uncomfortable is that the person of God that gets employed as we praise God is that of a sovereign God. And I was thinking about it. I was like, why do I feel uncomfortable with this? And I think it's literally because we live in America and we actually, in the history of America, we rejected sovereignty. You know that, right? Like King George was the thing, right? If you watch Hamilton, you know, we said no to King George. Like, that's what we did. We were like, no. And then we said, George Washington will be our king. And George Washington was like, no, we're not doing the king thing. Like literally the foundation of our country is a rejection of the idea of sovereignty. (laughs) So, so it is interesting that, that this language comes up. Now, I will say that a lot of us maybe come from traditions that do understand that, that mode of sovereignty. We come from traditions where cultural and national leaders are chiefs, are emperors, are kings and queens, right? And so I think it's interesting that, that this language kind of gets brought up in Psalm 145, and it does reveal a particular dynamic, which is that the one who's sovereign has a lot of power, And the reason that in our country we rejected sovereignty is because we said, no, no, no. One person is not allowed to have too much power. In fact, fun fact, friends, that some of us know from our discipleship groups, the American government is modeled after Presbyterian polity. And it is modeled after Presbyterian polity particularly because... Presbyterian polity acknowledges that people can be tyrannical, (laughs) and so there are layers and layers and layers of accountability baked into Presbyterian polity and supposedly into the American government so that one person cannot be so tyrannical. Lord Jesus, help us in these days. I just feel like this psalm makes me uncomfortable Because I can tell that there's the ability of a sovereign, of a single person in power to be tyrannical. And I wondered, God, why would you use this language? And then we come to verses 14 to 21, and you realize that actually the sovereignty of God is meant to reach for the people on the very bottom, right? Let's begin to read Psalm 14, it starts out as this: the Lord is close to. Oh, actually, go to the slide before that. Um, the Lord supports all who fall down, straightens up all who are bent low. Literally, the, the beginning of the of the physical conditions that that, that 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 describe God's sovereignty are that God finds the physically needy and draws near to them. And in fact, in a lot of ways, in Second Temple Judaism and beyond, drawing near to the physically needy would make someone unclean. And so here is God going directly to the people with the most need that would make someone who's holy, unclean, and drawing near, straightening up, taking in God's hands, bringing healing, right? Next, all eyes look to you hoping and you give them their food right on time, opening your hand and satisfying the desire of every living thing every living thing my friends when i read this verse it actually reminds me of me being in a park feeding birds that's what it reminds me of the way that god does that but for all creation in all in in due time in seasons that our god is a seasonal god who understands the ways that need things needs need to be met in seasons knows the seasons wrote the seasons and can provide in the seasons, we move forward. Our God is one of justice and kindness, right? The Lord calls is close to everyone who calls out to him, to all who call out sincerely, right? And it's interesting because one of the commentaries said with that particular verse, it's sort of like God knows when we're calling out to God, but also when we're really calling out to something else, Right? And actually, to call out to God sincerely is to say, I call out to you, God, exclusively, right? As the one who I worship, you're the only one I worship, and I reject all the other options for worship. I reject all the other options for centering my existence, and I choose you first. And that choice is one that God sees and responds to, right? God shows favor to those who honor him, listening to their cries to help and saving them. The Lord protects all who love him, but he destroys every wicked person. What an uncomfortable line that is, to destroy every wicked person. And in fact, that line isn't, we shouldn't see that line in isolation. But in fact, that is a direct response to people kind of um, needing favor, needing their cries to be heard, needing to be saved. And in fact, that's not just a line to be read as God destroys individual people, but in fact that God destroys dynamics of wickedness that would seek to destroy people who are calling out for justice, who are calling out for mercy, right? It's not just that God says, you're an evil person, but God is like, no, I will not tolerate evil systems. And I will not tolerate them being led by people who bear my image. That is an incongruency that I cannot stand. We are made in your image. It doesn't make sense for us to uphold evil systems. I will not bear this incongruity. And then it ends with this effusive statement of praise. My mouth will proclaim the Lord's praise and every living thing will bless God's holy name forever and always. Unlike most sovereignty, unlike most who lead and and are in charge of very big, expansive things, the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the sovereignty of the God of Rahab, Hannah, and Ruth is attendant to the needy. It draws near to the weak. Our sovereign God draws near to the hungry and the physically bent over and meets their need. Our sovereign God hears the cries of those who need justice and compassion and saves them. And our sovereign God will not tolerate those who create the conditions of evil and of exclusion. That is the sovereignty of God. It is an unusual sovereignty, which is why this psalm made me uncomfortable, because I am not used to that kind of leadership. Let's be honest. I am not used to that kind of of authority, the authority that says, no, 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 I will draw near to those who have the most need. And so I want to make for us a couple of invitations as we consider uh, what Psalm 45 has to give to us. Um, One invitation will be how we walk, as in how we live, and another will be how we pray. Um, I actually want to invite us as we consider the sovereignty of God, as we consider the reign of God, that each one of us as God's people lives in that space, right? God is is doing that work. Um, And we are actually invited to both experience and participate in that work. Um, And so I want to say two things in this. Number one, I want to say that I want to invite us to be particularly aware of those in our own neighborhoods and in our own families and in our own communities that need justice, that need kindness, that need healing, that need to be fed. Um, And that as we participate in God's desire to do those things and to draw near to those folks, we are participating in this unusual reign in this unusual sovereignty. We are enjoying the presence of God as we draw near to those who need justice and kindness and healing and to be fed. And the other thing is that I want to recognize that there are those among us who are crying out for those things. And I just want to say that we need to be a community that hears you, Right, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like we all don't have those kinds of needs in our families, in our own daily lives. And so I want us to be a place where we're able to say we have those needs. Some of those needs have already been announced in our prayers of the people over the past weeks. And there are some things that we've been doing to try and reach out to even people in our own community who are experiencing housing vulnerability and economic vulnerability. We recognize those things are real among us. And as the people of God, we say yes to this unusual sovereignty of God by attending to those things and responding in partnership with God. And the other invitation I want us to make is to become just a little more comfortable praising God. Really, it's an invitation to remember that we are relational creatures, relational um, relationship in relationship to the land, in relationship to each other, and in relationship to God. And as we experience these things that we see um, in this psalm, as we experience God's kindness and mercy in our own lives, as we see God attend to the hungry in our own lives, as we see God draw near to the physically hurting in our own lives, I want us to, with our mouths, continue to rehearse what it means to say, yes, God, you are the one who draws near. You are the one that feeds the hungry. You are the one that feeds folks right on time, that those words would be formed in our mouths, that they wouldn't just be thoughts in our head, but that we would take time to say, yes, God, this is who you are. And in addition, that we would take time in the midst of our lives where we have those needs, to pray those, to let those words come out of our mouths, to let to let our bodies kind of speak to God and say, "This is what I need." Um, I think I, I I have begun to appreciate this psalm more because it gives us permission to acknowledge both our need and the way that God provides. To acknowledge that yes, power uh, can be used in a way that is evil, but that our our God desires to draw near in God's power, to draw near to those who are suffering. As we close our time meditating on this scripture, I want to call us toward the center of this praise psalm. It says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, very patient and full of faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone and everything. God's compassion extends to all God's handiwork. We are in a time where extreme needs are being exposed. Um, We are in a time where there are folks and communities that have been in dire straits for a while whose cries are reaching the ears of those whom they never have. And it is God's desire that all creation experiences God's kindness, God's compassion, God's abundant patience, God's faithful, promise-keeping love and God's goodness. This is God's word to you and to us and to our neighborhoods and to all creation. My friends, let us allow ourselves to have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hands to touch God's goodness in this season. Let's allow our mouths to speak and sing and tell the stories of God's goodness. Remember that we are in a covenant and a relationship with God, with each other, and with the land. It does our hearts a lot of good to give honor when we see that covenant being kept. It reminds us that God is faithful. And it also makes us attentive to and able to recognize the activity of our sovereign God who sees and hears and draws near to the needy. We're going to take a little bit of time just to pause, to breathe, to reflect, to consider um, what God might be showing us. And I'm going to sing um, a chorus uh, that comes from this song. And as, um, as I'm singing, I'll, I'll, you are invited to sing or just to listen. Um, to allow these words to continue to be a space of discernment, of, 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 of paying attention to what God might be saying.